0: been a month since I've been here so I'm grateful you guys had a break um, and uh, I know I'd be a fool to expect you to remember everything we've covered so far in 1st John so I'm going to give you a brief uh, reminder of some of the things we've seen before we move on to the next passage in 1st John chapter 1 we saw especially that this this book is written or this letter is written to the church to encourage them, to remind them of the certainty of the gospel and that the word became flesh and the word had a message and that message was that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship in the light and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. In light of that great and sort of A really daunting message, we are going to begin to move on at the end of chapter one and into chapter two. And we have a lot of the same things that are going to be said by John throughout the chapter. And it's a back and forth between the, the severity of sin and the reality of sin and the reality of grace. So with that said, let me read for us 1 John chapter one, verses nine through 10, excuse me, verses eight through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. And, the, and his word is not in us. We all need encouragement every week, hopefully every day, to keep pressing on. Stay the course. So many uh, theologians and pastors and elders have said that, and I've heard that myself. Stay the course. But in order to stay the course, we really need to have a sure and certain sense that Christ is here, that he is in us and that he will never forsake us. John is writing this epistle to bring assurance to the people. Assurance is one of the most central things for a believer. If we are not assured of the salvation we've received in Christ, then we find ourselves muddling through life. Not always, uh, not always having the perspective that God is sovereign and good and allowing so many things in our lives and the world to cause anxiety and stress and even misery. One of the things that's central to having assurance is the very thing that can undermine assurance. And that's the reality of sin. When we think of the goodness of Christ and the grace of Christ, we know that that changes us and and moves us to live a different life and to live according to God's word and to seek to be faithful to Jesus and live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But there's this remaining presence of sin. And the more one is sincere and trying to walk faithfully to the Lord, the more they become aware of the reality of sin. It will not go away. It's always there. Reminds me of the passage in Genesis four where the Lord says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you. That's the reality of sin in our lives. That's what we're considering today, the reality of sin. And why do I focus on this when we're thinking about assurance? It's because of this. If you and and myself are not fully aware of the reality of sin and its continuance, regardless, regardless of how sanctified we become, if we do not understand the reality of sin throughout the rest of this life until glory, then we can have no assurance at all. Because sin, if it surprises us, if we become more and more aware of sin and we say, well, this must mean that I'm not a Christian, then there goes your assurance. A Christian doesn't say, hey, I have no sin. A Christian understands that their sin is great and it will not go away in this life. But God's grace is greater. The reality of sin plays an important role. It's that black velvet backdrop that you hold up the shining gemstone and the shining gemstone sparkles all the more against that black backdrop. That gem is the gospel. And without the reality of sin, it will not shine. Assurance must be understood in light of that backdrop. So we're going to think about the reality of sin this morning. And uh, it's, it's very proper as we come to the Lord's table to be thinking about these things and what Christ has done. So first, let's consider the universality of sin. That sin is universal. We look at verses 8 and 10, and we, say, we see that... Um, uh, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then we look at verse 10. If we say we have not sin, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. You see the same statements, just paraphrased differently, right? If we say we have no sin, we make God to be a liar. That's being over, uh, reiterated over and over again. If we say we have no sin or have not sin, then his word is not in us. His truth is not in us. His word is not in us. Any claim of sinlessness or, or the, um, the fact that we've never had sin or that we never uh, sinned in our lives or that we have no sin at a particular time in our lives. Such a statement and such a perspective is simply not true. And that's what brought, is brought out in these verses we claim to have no sin, we're self-deceived. If we claim to have no sin, the truth is not in us. It doesn't matter how much we proclaim the gospel and say we believe. If we think we have no sin, it doesn't matter. We don't understand the truth. We make God to be a liar, John says. This is a serious matter, isn't it? This isn't just something that we should just skirt over and say, well, that's not me. Because the more and more we think about what John is saying, the more and more we are going to be cut to the the quick. More and more we see that John emphasizes the reality of sin here and through the rest the rest of the epistle, the more and more we see just how dire it is and that everyone has sin now there are those who have claimed to be without sin before this is nothing new there's nothing new under the sun and there are those in the past and those today who have claimed to have no sin there has been movements in the past such as what's often referred to as perfectionism that you can reach the point Uh, Of sanctification that you have no sin or or sinless. You've reached that point in which sin is no longer an issue in your life and you do not commit sin. I've seen this in both the non-Christian world and in the Christian world. I can remember years ago watching something like a 20-20 or 60 Minutes I can't remember and being interviewed was a young boy from the inner city of 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 one of the big cities in the U S and he had been ordained as an evangelist. And when I say young, I mean eight years old. Now, regardless of what we think about that, right? Okay. Remember, remember a lot of people were called at a young age. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying, let's not judge this moment for a second, this issue for a second, regardless of what we think about this. The fact is, is he was being interviewed, by one of the most well-known journalists and TV personalities on the news ever. And he was speaking the gospel. And he said, we all have sin. We're all sinners. And in that moment, the journalist turned and said to him, but I'm not a sinner. And that little boy had the shocked look on his face and, and without any hesitation, he said, Yeah, you are. Out of the mouths of babes, right? Not just in the unbelieving world, but in the Christian world. I had a friend who years ago told me about a story that a woman came up and asked the preacher after the service, when is the last time you sinned? And the preacher thought to himself, probably when I was walking out of the pulpit. And he began to talk to her, and she said, "I haven't sinned in six years." Self-deceived. From the beginning to the end of God's word, the sinlessness of man—sinlessness of man—is is the predominant strain in Scripture, and it's that context in which to, in which God comes to deliver man. Genesis six five. God saw that man's heart was only evil all the time. Continually bent on evil. The thoughts of his heart, only evil continually. That's what God sees when he looks upon humanity. Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. The fact that we have sinned and are sinners is a living reality. And I want to use and emphasize the word living. The flesh is still strong. It is no longer your master, but it is fighting to be once again. For the unbeliever, the sin that dwells within the heart, the flesh, is the master. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the fact is is that sin has control of you. Everything you do and everything you think, since it is not, it's not geared towards honoring God or done in faith, it's seen by God as always sinful. For the believer, God's grace covers the believer but sins a present reality. Everything we do as Christians is closed in the righteousness of Christ. And so God sees us as saved, sees us as righteous, But that doesn't discount the remaining sin that is in our lives that we have to learn to put to death. Bless you. And so we need to have realistic expectations. Do you know what expectations are like? They're like politics. They promise you one thing and reality is different. We have unrealistic expectations of life. Think about the when we were growing up. Oh, I'm going to do this when I get older. I'm going to do this. Did your life turn out the way you expected? If you say yes, I don't believe you at all. What's our expectations? Sin is as certain as the air we breathe. So we considered the universality of sin, it's an ever-present m- matter in our lives. Now let's see what he's moving on to say about the acknowledgement of sin. Uh, the worst thing we could ever do is suppress the reality of sin in our lives. That very psalm uh, that we, we heard earlier, I, I believe it was in the call to worship, Psalm 32, that very psalm, begins with the wonder of justification. And then after David says that, as we move on, he says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me when I did not confess my sins, when I held it from you. The worst thing we could ever do is to deny our sin or to withhold it and suppress it. And so John says, confess, if we confess our sins, Confession sometimes can be made to be more than it really is. Confession is, to a great degree, seeing the sin, admitting it to God. Without any caveat, without any self-justification, it's simply your word is right, Lord, and I have sinned. I, I can't do anything about it. I ask you for mercy. That's confession of sin. And done, the heart of faith is fully granted. One commentator says, we openly and honestly face sin without hiding it or finding excuses for it. That is is confession. Acknowledgement of who God is and who we are as sinners. And not just that, but that there is real, tangible sin in our lives, whether it is adultery, whether it is lying, whether it is false witness against our neighbor, whether it is coveting, it doesn't really matter. We have actual sins in our lives, past, present, and it will be in the future. So, not just simply a general confession I am a sinner, I need mercy, yes, but in that context as well. Lord, I know I have done this, forgive me. Repentance and faith theologically shows that we are aligning ourselves with God. The truth is in us because we're acknowledging that what God has said is right. So we're moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. St. Augustine said, he who confesses and condemns his sins already acts with God. When you confess and you condemn your sins, you are declaring with the Father in heaven that he is right and you are on his side. Augustine continues, God condemns your sins And if you condemn them as well, you are linked with God. Do you condemn your sins? Do you despise them? Do you hate the flesh that remains? You are united to God. You are united to Christ saying the cross is absolutely necessary to save me from my unrighteousness. The worst thing someone can do is to ignore sin. The conscience is given to us by God, which is a wondrous thing. We are fallen, but yet we aren't fallen to the degree that God doesn't allow the 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 imprint of his law to be stamped within us. And so we know when we do right and when we do wrong, the Gentiles Paul says, who don't have the law instinctively do the things of the law before you may have ever heard of God's 10 commandments. You knew if you did something wrong and you can see it from the youngest of days, right? When you were a kid and you don't want to get in trouble You found a way out of it. Even though your conscience told you it was wrong. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness will only, and I'm going to be very blunt, will only damn you to hell. We're accountable accountable for whether we heed the warnings of God's word and the conviction within us. We can never stand before God and say, Lord, I didn't know. He'll look right at us and say, yeah, you did. And you know you did. Paul writes in Romans 2 about the Jews Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. Acknowledging and confessing your sins must be a priority to you. And if you never have, it must be a priority today because today is the day of salvation. You don't have tomorrow. All you have is this moment. The reality of sin is a universal matter. The acknowledgement of sin is the universal need. And the forgiveness of sin is the granting of God to those who come. Thirdly, the forgiveness of sin. John tells us that if we confess our sins, God will forgive. Assurance is a matter of taking God's word by faith and accepting it. If we struggle with assurance, then one of the central things are is we're not taking God at his word, which unfortunately unfortunately is not necessarily explicit, but implied that we don't trust God's word. We think that he is holding out on us And may in the end undercut what we have hoped for. Pilgrim's Progress, you see at the end of the book, Christian and Hopeful are passing through the river. And while they are in the water, Hopeful is walking on the bottom of the river and he says, Christian is not that bad, but Christian is drowning and flailing and he's saying, oh, no, God has not forgotten my sins. He is he is bringing them back upon me. And it wasn't until hopeful encouraged him to look to Christ that he was able to feel the bottom and walked to the land. Assurance. Assurance is having an acceptance of what God says, even if we don't feel it. God is greater than our emotions. He is greater than the way we think. He is greater than the arguments that you can make against yourself. Two characteristics of God are mentioned here, that he is faithful and just. These are important words to understand. Faithful means that he is faithful and he upholds his covenant without fail. And his covenant is a covenant of grace. He is faithful to show you grace without end. And he is just. Which means that he keeps his word. He keeps his law. He is always focusing and driven towards keeping his promise. Because we're told in in Numbers 23 that God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should repent. He has, uh, has he said and will he not do it? Or or has he spoken, will he not make it good? Genesis 18:25 Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God will forgive those who confess. You know God is very good to make the offer of salvation so simple for us. Because if it depended on us in any way, we would truly get it wrong and mess it up and so he says you have to realize there's nothing you can do but Jesus paid it all he will cleanse us this idea of being white as snow think of the scarlet covered red like blood red just seeps into a, a white garment and it's ruined you can't get it out And yet the cleansing power of Jesus and his blood pulls all of your blood-stained clothes clean. Pulls it out completely and gets rid of it. This is the sacrifice of Christ and the atonement of Christ. He has satisfied God's judgment for your sin. What the law says is due to you. And he has made it possible to take away that sin, if you would come. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he, full of atonement, can it be? Do we sing that hymn? Yes, we do. You probably don't remember it, but we do. Hallelujah, what a savior. That's that hymn. If we sing that, do we believe it? This is where assurance lies. To believe in the freeing grace that God gives. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Was that just words coming out of the Savior? No, it's him saying that I am going to save you completely. And you merely must accept Accept what I have done. When we see this, we begin to see that there is comfort available for us as we wrestle with sin. We begin to see that we are encouraged to not get up but stay the course. And when we see the love of Christ who laid down his life for us, we're motivated to keep turning from sin. The assurance of God's forgiveness is because of his love. And when we understand that love that moves him to save us, that love is what transforms us. It must be love. It cannot be law. For law will not, law will not transform you. Law will strangle you. Grace is what motivates obedience to God's law. Not obedience to the law for the sake of grace. Grace always precedes obedience. The Decalogue itself, how does it begin? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have saved you, I've shown you grace, I've brought you to myself. Now therefore... You shall have no other gods before me, and on. But when we see the law very clearly, we see we don't deserve mercy. Jesus told the the parable of the prodigal son for a reason, so that we would look at both the prodigal and both the older brother, to see where we, are, where we fit. Are we self-righteous in the pursuit of justification like the elder brother because we're doing good and we deserve something? Or are we that foolish younger brother who spends everything and goes to the bottom of the pit And comes back in humility and simply says, I want to be a servant. If I could just be a servant in my father's house. And the father runs to him. And he kisses him and he pulls him to himself and he brings him back into the home. Into the household of the father. Not as a servant, but as a son once again. Without fault and blameless in the father's eyes. In order to live the Christian life, we must know the forgiveness of sins. You cannot, you cannot live a life for Jesus in which you flourish in your love for him and the benefit of your soul if if you don't believe that you are forgiven. And I'm not saying in principle, I'm saying believing in heart. You know, there's a time in which r- the rubber meets the road when all the stuff that we proclaim and study in this congregation and in the scriptures where it becomes reality and not esoteric anymore. In this life, in your soul, are you going to believe? That you are forgiven for the past, for today, for each day that comes in the future. Jesus said it is finished. Surely his blood proves it. Knowing God's forgiveness enables you then to forgive others. In this great? The, go- the gospel of God's grace never ends with us. It never ends with you. It moves forward. It sh- it's shown to other people. So the forgiveness of God for all of our sins enables us to forgive others who have sinned against us. We all need forgiveness. And the reality is, as Jesus told the parable... Of, of the servant who went to his master and said, Lord, forgive me. It was just a, a small amount. Forgive me uh, and, and have mercy on me and my family. And, he, and, and the master said, okay. And then that very servant, I mean, he owed a ton of money. I, I, I messed it up there for a minute. He owed a ton of money and the master forgave him. That very servant went out and took hold of another servant immediately who only owed a fraction of what the first servant owed. And he had him, and he, he, he condemned them and he, he said, I'm going to punish you. I'm, until you give me that money back, I'm going to take things away from you. And when the master heard this, he threw that first servant in jail and said, he will not be released until every penny is paid back. So, Jesus says, will our father do to you if you do not forgive others? Forgiveness can be a hard thing, especially when you've been wrong so deeply and tragically. Even to the degree that your life is never the same. And it has hurt you, not just in some sort of momentary way, but perhaps it has shattered you. And here you are. that can be a very hard thing especially as a sinner but when when we begin to understand the grace of god more and more he begins to work in our hearts hopefully not to say anything is right or wrong but as we stand praying jesus says forgive if you have anything against anyone else and that's that's the command it's not It has nothing to do with what the other person does or what has happened. That's irrelevant. God says, as you stand before me, let it go. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You let him handle that. But as you stand before the Lord, let it go. Leave it in his hands as best as you can. The great example of that we see in Jesus at the cross. He's being basically, he's being slaughtered as a sacrifice and the people all around him yelling crucify him, hurling abuses on him and he says, Father, forgive them. That's astounding to me. But when you become one of Christ and you know his forgiveness, then you are able to forgive others. And the greatest example in the scriptures that we see this in a human being is Stephen in the book of Acts, who proclaimed one of the most wondrous sermons to the people of the Jews in that day. And they picked up stones to stone them and they stoned him to death. And with his last breath, he said, Father, forgive them. The knowledge of the forgiveness of God is where assurance begins. And when you have that certainty in your heart that God has forgiven you for every wicked thought and evil deed you have ever done. Then we are humbled. We begin to understand that human beings are human beings and we're like that and we all need mercy. assurance of salvation assurance of salvation can only be understood in light of the reality of sin so do not be surprised as you look at your life and you see sin instead when you see that sin look to Jesus the forgiver of sins let's pray Father we thank you for your word and we ask that you would help us as we prepare for the Lord's table to see the visible proclamation of the good news of forgiveness. And it points us to the certainty of who Christ is and what he has done. Our certainty about ourselves is simply that we are sinners. We are certain of that. And we need a savior. And the certainty of this creation is that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. In his name we pray. Amen.